Good morning, Marberly family. So great to see you today. Excited to be talking about the remarkable power of Jesus because the last month or so we've been talking about the teachings of Jesus, parables of Jesus. But for the next few weeks, we're going to be studying some of the amazing miracles of Jesus starting today. Open your Bibles or access your device to Mark 4.35, and we're going to talk about how to faith the storms of life. Now, that's not a misprint, typo. You know what? Faith is a verb. And maybe you've heard somebody say, fake it till you make it. That's not true. But you know what? Faith it and you will make it, okay? Uh, We all face adversity, and we must face adversity with faith. You know, it's a hard job to predict the weather, I heard a funny story about a Native American tribe up in South Dakota. Uh, In the fall, they asked their chief if if it was going to be a cold winter, and he didn't want to admit he didn't really know, so he just called up the National Weather Service. And he said, it's going to be a cold winter. They said, yeah, we believe it's going to be a cold winter. So the chief went back and told the members of the tribe, yeah, it's going to be cold, collect firewood. A couple of weeks later, the chief wondered if the forecast had changed. We called the National Weather Service again. Are you still thinking it's going to be a cold winter? He said, yeah, I think we think it's going to be a cold winter. So he went back and told the members of the tribe, keep collecting firewood. Well, chief still wasn't totally sure, so he called up again a couple of weeks later. And this time the forecaster said, you know what, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, this is going to be one of the coldest winters on history. And the chief said, well, how do you know? He said, the Indians are gathering firewood like crazy. <laughs> But we're going to be talking about a storm that happened on the Sea of Galilee, which is not a sea at all. It's a freshwater lake, Lake Gennesaret. It's seven miles wide at the widest point, 14 miles long, shaped like a harp. It is 600 feet below sea level. It's the lowest freshwater lake on the face of the planet. I've been there many times, and I have actually gone out some mornings with a surface as flat as glass, and then within the hour, winds come whipping in and the chop picks up and it happened fast because it's built in a valley between mountains. And so that's what happened here. You know, it should have taken them about three hours to get across the lake that night. But, you know, the weather started getting rough. The tiny ship was tossed. If not for the courage of the fearless Lord, the disciples would be lost. (laughs) But they didn't end up on a desert isle. In fact, they were the targets of an amazing miracle that we're going to read about. Let's read about it here, Mark 4, 35. If you're willing and able to stand, let's read, uh, stand as we read God's Word. He'd been teaching all day. On that day when evening came, had come, he told them, let's cross over to the other side of the sea, going from the western side to the eastern side. So they left the crowd, and they took him along since he was in the boat, and other boats were with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking over the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. He was in the stern, sleeping on the cushion. So they woke him up, and they said, Teacher, Rabbi, don't you care that we're going to die? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Silence, be calm. The wind ceased. And there was a great calm, interesting word, a mega calm. Then he said to them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified, not of the storm anymore. They were terrified and asked one another, who 
then is this, because even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the power that you have to calm storms and to calm your children in the midst of storms. And we pray that anyone who needs your peace today will find it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Be seated. You may or may not know that I have a real interest and have done postdoctoral study in Renaissance biblical art. And one of my favorite paintings of this scene is by the great Dutch master Rembrandt called The Storm on the Sea of Galilee. Now, if you took time to count the disciples on board the boat, you'd find that there are 13 disciples uh, plus Jesus. And, and why is that? Because if you zoom in on the picture, you see that Rembrandt actually painted himself into the picture. We know this because he did many self-portraits, and he's always wearing that funny little beret, and there he has the beret on. Look at him. He's looking out at us, looking at him, holding on to the rope next to a disciple who's leaning over the side of the ship, losing his supper. Rembrandt pointed out in painting the picture that you'll notice some of the disciples are facing the storm, and some of the disciples are facing the Savior. What, what a lesson he put into that, because when you go through storms, you can either focus on the storm or you can focus on the Savior. Now, you can't see the original of this picture anywhere because in 1990, this was part of a famous art heist, a robbery that took place in the Gardner Museum in Boston. $140 million of art, including this picture, was stolen and still hasn't been recovered. So if you see this at a rummage sale or yard sale or in somebody's basement or lake house, contact the FBI because there is a $10 million reward for information on the recovery of this amazing painting. Well, this was a meteorological storm going on that night, but there was also an emotional storm. There was a storm of fear that was plaguing the disciples. So I want to give you five very practical uh, suggestions on how to faith the storms of life. Number one, you can be close to Jesus and still encounter storms. Now, I say that because even though they were there in close proximity to Jesus, the creator of the world, they still encountered a storm. And, and through the years, I've met Christians who think, you know what, when you become a Christian, you should be exempt from all suffering, all problems. You shouldn't face any storms. In fact, probably the greatest heresy in my lifetime in the 20th and 21st century is this uh, prosperity gospel, health, wealth gospel that says, you know what, if you love Jesus, you're never going to suffer. You're going to have all, all the money and more than you want. That is just a false gospel. The truth of the matter is we all struggle. We all suffer. Uh, I, I remember a friend of mine, Ron Dunn, who's with the Lord now, he said a guy came to him one time and said, hey, I'm a Christian now. And so it's the end of all my troubles. And Ron said, yeah, it's the end. It's the front end. Me because some people think that the Christian life is all honey, no bees, no work, all ease. No, we have to struggle with it. In fact, Peter, who was on the boat that night, later would write these words in 1 Peter 4.12. Dear friends, don't be surprised when the fiery ordeal comes among you to test you, circle that, and if something, as if something unusual were happening to you. 
But if anyone suffers as a Christian, by the way, that's only the third and final time in the New Testament, the word Christian appears twice in Acts. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name, that name Christ follower. So just as the waves would come and one right after the other in that storm that night, that's kind of the way trouble comes. It comes in waves. Some of you may be between a wave right now, and that's good, but some of you may be right on the top of a wave. But if you never have any trouble, if you never have any struggles in life, if you never face adversity, you have my permission to just go to sleep for the next few minutes, okay? But if you do struggle with adversity at times, you need to understand that Christians face storms. I heard about a rancher who was out in his pasture and a bull took off after him and he jumped down in a hole and the bull passed and he jumped out of the hole. Bull came back, he jumped back in the hole, in the hole, out of the hole, in the hole. One of the cowhands nearby said, hey man, why don't you stay in that hole? He said, there's a rattlesnake in that hole. (laughs) You know, that is similar to what the prophet Amos wrote. In Amos chapter 5, he said, you know what life is like? Life is like a guy who's running from a lion and he encounters a bear. Life is like a man who finally gets home and leans up against his wall and a snake bites him. In other words, when things are, are going well, just be prepared because storms do come. Here's the second lesson. Jesus permits storms to test our faith. He allows storms to test our faith. Now, Jesus woke up and he had two questions. He first of all said, why are you afraid? And then his next question was, do you still have no faith? So think about what Jesus has been doing all day that day. He had been teaching all day long about faith, parables about faith, about having your heart receptive to the Word of God. So like any good teacher, he gave the lesson all day, and then he gave the test. The test was how they were going to react during the storm. That's what most teachers do. But you know, God does test our faith. Once again, Peter, who was there that night, had these words to write in 1 Peter 1, 6. These trials, you can just substitute the word storms, will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire, test, and purifies gold, though your faith is more precious than mere gold. You understand that, that when you put gold in the fire, it burns off the impurities and it becomes more valuable. And that's why God allows us to go through storms. It's like a fiery trial to burn off all the unnecessary things to make us more valuable. And he says, your faith is more valuable than all the gold in Fort Knox. Last Friday, gold was selling for about $1,480 an ounce. If you had a pound of gold, it'd be about $30,000 today. But your faith, my faith, is more valuable than all the gold in all the world. And God does test it. And you know what? He doesn't test our faith when things are great. I mean, there's no test to that, right? I mean, when you, you feel good and everybody's treating you well and you have plenty of money to pay your bills, he doesn't test you. I mean, I mean, summertime and the living is easy, the fish are jumping and the cotton is high, your daddy's rich and your mama's good looking. That's not the test time. <laughs> the test time is when it's wintertime and the fish are frozen and the cotton field is empty and your daddy's broke 
And you don't know where your mama is. That's, that's the time that God tests us. And these, these tests, these storms come in all different shapes and sizes. Some of you may go, be going through a physical storm right now, a health storm. You may be going through a financial storm. It, it may be a relational storm right now. All different kinds of storms. And just think that God is testing you during this time. Let me just mention quickly three different kinds of tests that I have discovered that God uses. First of all, he uses what I call the pressure test. The pressure test. See, see how much pressure you can endure without blowing your stack, keeping your cool. You know, I was shaving the other morning, and I looked on my can of shave cream, and God gave me a message from that shave cream can. It said, caution, contents under pressure. And I thought, well, you know what? That is true of every one of us. We all face pressure, and God uses that to see how we will respond. And then the second kind of test, you'll love this one. I call it the people test. The people test. You know, and sometimes God will test how you treat somebody that he puts in your life. And trust me, I'm not talking about a sweet person. I'm not talking about a nice person, a loving person. I'm talking about that cantankerous, obstreperous person that agitates you. I mean, the person, when you see their, their name on caller ID, you're not going to answer that phone. That's the kind of person. And I've often said, if you ever ask, pray this prayer, God, teach me to love people. He's not going to give you some sweet person to love. He's going to toss a you know, rascal in there and say, hey, love on that one for a while. When you finish that one, I'll give you another one. So how do you love these people that you think it's hard to love? Well, it's impossible to love some people, but God loves them, and Jesus can love them through you. And then there's the persistence test, the persistence test. God wants to see sometimes how much you can endure. Someone has said that the true value of a person is what it takes for them to give up, to quit. I love what Winston Churchill said. He said, when you find yourself going through hell, keep going. (laughs) Don't stop. He also said that success is moving from one failure to the next failure without any loss of enthusiasm. God wants to say, don't give up. Don't quit. Those are the tests. Have you ever been watching television or listening to radio and you hear this sort of screechy tone that gets your attention and then a voice comes on or the message comes on and says, this is a test. This is a test of the emergency broadcasting system. This is only a test, you know, and so then you get back to your regular programming. But when you are going through a lot of trouble and adversity and you're saying, what in the world is going on in my life right now? You need to hear a voice loud and clear that says, this is a test. This is only a test. So God tests our faith. Number three, lesson number three, storms force us to cry out to Jesus Now, think about it. All right. At least four of these disciples were fishermen and had probably spent most of their life on this lake. They knew something about boats and about bad weather. And Jesus is asleep. And they could have said, you know what? We can handle this. We can fix it ourselves. And and that's the attitude a lot of people take sometimes. When I'm going through a tough time, you know what? I don't want to bother the Lord I'm, I'm going to fix it myself. I'm going to handle it myself. And especially guys, guys, aren't we, aren't we Mr. Fix-its? We want to just fix the problem. We, we're afraid to ask for help sometimes. So, I mean, they could have said, oh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to turn the ship into the wind. We're going to trim the sail. We're going to bail the water. We're going to paddle towards shore. 
but we don't want to bother the Lord. I mean, if that had been their attitude, their last words would have been glub, glub, glub. But they were forced to cry out to Jesus. Now, in 2009, I wrote a book that turned out to be pretty popular called No, That's Not in the Bible. It's 12 sayings that people say, the Bible says, like, the Bible says God helps those that help themselves. No, it doesn't. The Bible says cleanliness is next to godliness. No, no, it doesn't. But the one that a lot of people sometimes want to argue about is the Bible says God will never put more on you than you can bear. How many of you have heard that before? Sure, yeah. I've said it before. As a young pastor, I used to say that. I can remember a woman really tore into me one time in a sweet way. We were at the visitation of her husband's funeral, and he's that there in the coffin, and she's just weeping there. She's a sweet lady, but she knew her Bible better than I did, for sure. And I said, well, Mary, just remember, this was a young, stupid pastor. Mary, remember, God won't put more on you than you can bear. And she turned to me, and she said, Pastor, you don't find that anywhere in the Bible. I was about to disagree with her, but then once she said next, made me not argue. She said, but it is true that God will never put more on you than God can bear. And so I went to my Bible and I tried to find it. It's not in there. Now, there's a verse in 1 Corinthians said, God won't put more temptation before you than you're able to resist. He's faithful. He won't do that. But it never says he won't put more on you than you can bear. And, and people think that. And, and sometimes when people fall apart, they feel guilty because they say, what's wrong with my faith? Because God won't put more than you can bear. Yeah, sometimes you're going to face so much weight of adversity that you're at the breaking point. You're at the POTD, the point of total desperation, and it causes you to cry out to Jesus. You know, yeah, that's where the Apostle Paul was several times in his life. Look at 2 Corinthians 1.8. He says, we don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction, use the word storms, that took place in Asia, Asia Minor, Turkey today. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength. Yeah, it, it was beyond anything we could bear, so that we even despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. He said, I, I, we knew we were going to die, but this happened so that we would not look at this trust in ourselves but in God who raises the dead. I mean, God allowed us to carry so much weight so that we wouldn't trust in ourselves, but we would trust in God. And isn't that what we do sometimes? Lord, I don't want to bother you with this problem. Hey, folks, you never bother the Lord, okay? I mean, the same sun that keeps the planets in orbit will ripen your tomatoes as if it has nothing else to do. And the mighty God that keeps everything in place is concerned about every detail of your life. You never bother him. So you know what storms do? They, they cause us to cry out to Jesus, Lord, Lord, help us. We're, we're about to die. And, and they cried out to Jesus, and Jesus responded. You know, one of my favorite songs is Cry Out to Jesus by a group called Third Day. I mean, it's a pretty old song, but... I've been listening to it for a couple of decades. It's on my iTunes library. And so your assignment today is go to Spotify or YouTube or something like that and just listen to this song. Here are some of the lyrics. To everyone who's lost someone they love long before it was their time, 
You feel like the days you had were not enough when you said goodbye. And all of the people with burdens and pain keeping you back from your life. You believe that there's nothing and there is no one who can make it right. Here's the chorus. There is hope for the helpless and rest for the weary and love for the broken heart. There's grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus for the marriage that's struggling just to hang on. They've lost all their faith and love. They've done all they can to make it right again. Still, it's not enough. For the ones who can't break the addictions and chains, you try to give up, but you come back again. Just remember that you're not alone in your shame and your suffering. There is hope for the helpless, rest for the weary, and love for the broken heart. There's grace and forgiveness, mercy and healing. He'll meet you wherever you are. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to Jesus. That's what storms do. They, they force us to cry out to Jesus. And here's the fourth lesson. Jesus will either calm your storm or he'll calm you. Now, what we want him to do is to do what he did in this miracle. He, he stood up and said, hush, be still. And the wind stopped. The waves got flat. We, that's what we want Jesus to do. Lord, I'm in a storm. Calm the storm. Take it away. But sometimes he just gives you tranquility in the middle of your storm. Now, the fact that Jesus was asleep during this storm teaches us two important things about Jesus. First of all, it teaches us that he was 100% human. He was so exhausted from teaching all day that he got on the boat, this little boat, and even though it was tossing and turning in a storm, he was sound asleep in the back of the boat on a cushion. Well, the second thing is about spiritually speaking, Jesus had so much faith being God himself, he knew that that boat wasn't going to sink. He knew they weren't going to drown. So sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms you. You know, Paul wrote about that. He had something called a thorn in the flesh, and he said, Lord, take away this storm, take away the storm. In fact, let's read about it, 2 Corinthians 9, 7. He said, because of these extraordinary revelations, in other words, he was caught up to the third heaven, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so that I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it would leave me. Take it away, Lord, take it away. Take, please take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. So if he doesn't take the storm away, he's going to give you the grace to endure the storm. You know, one of my heroes is Coach Gene Stallings. He coached at A&M and also coached at the University of Alabama, retired up here to Paris, Texas. You know, Gene had a son, John Mark, who had Down syndrome. And he, he, he calls John Mark, who died in 20, 2009, one of the greatest gifts God ever gave to his family. And he says that he used to struggle with how to raise John Mark until he got a letter from a mother of another Down syndrome child. And she said this. She said, life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. Life is about learning to dance in the rain. I love that. That, that changed Coach Stallings' total attitude. Life is not about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning how to dance 
in the rain. So here's the final lesson about faithing storms. If Jesus is in your boat, you know you'll make it through the storm, okay? If Jesus is in your boat, you're going to make it, okay? You are not going to die. You're not going to drown. And this is what Jesus said in Mark 4.35. Jesus said, let's cross over to the other side of the sea. When Jesus spoke those words... It was like God on creation saying, let there be light. It was going to happen. And when he said, let's go to the other side, they were going to go to the other side. And all of the navies of the Roman Empire couldn't have sunk that little boat. I mean, all of Satan and his demons, nothing in heaven, on the earth, or under the earth could have sunk that boat because he said, we're going to the other side. And I just want you to know. That even though you have Jesus in your life, you're not immune from storms, but I can promise you that you're going to make it through the storm if Jesus is in your life. So here's sort of the takeaway truth. If you want something to take away from this, Jesus never promises a smooth ride, which is what we all want, but he guarantees a definite destination, definite destination. Jesus said, in my father's house, there are many rooms and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. So the ride may not always be smooth, but your destination is secure. You know, the greatest maritime disaster of history was the sinking of the HMS Titanic exactly 110 years ago, last April 15. It was April 15, 1912, when the HMS Titanic, which was considered to be unsinkable, sunk. The unsinkable ship about all it ever did was sink. But you know, it wasn't an iceberg that sank the Titanic. Most people believe it was the pride and the hubris of the officers on board the ship that caused them not to even worry about icebergs. Because there was one passenger who survived by the name of Miss Sylvia Caldwell, who, who later reported that before she boarded the Titanic, one of the officers said to her, God himself could not sink this ship. You may not know that the Titanic was built in Belfast, Northern Ireland. And so when it sank and 1,500 people went to their death in the frigid Atlantic Ocean, that town was especially struck with the grief. The streets were filled with people openly weeping. And it just so happened that the Sunday after the sinking of the Titanic, at a church there in Belfast, it was Derry Presbyterian Church, 16 men from that church had been on board the Titanic as crew, and they all perished. That, that Sunday... The pastor, Andrew Smith, spoke on this same passage that we talked about today, and here's what he said. There was only one vessel in all of history that was truly unsinkable, the little boat occupied by the sleeping Savior. And the only hearts that can weather the storms of life are the hearts with Jesus inside. Amen to that. But you know what the really takeaway from this is? First of all, they were afraid of dying. 
But then all of a sudden they go from the crashing of the waves to a mega calm. Instantly. And then they really were afraid. But it was a different kind of fear. They were terrified and they said, who is this man? Just imagine the sense of awe they had in that moment. Have you ever had that sense of awe of a holy God? Who, who, who is this man? Even the seas and the winds obey him. Peter asked that question. Later he would say, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. That night John said, who is this guy? Later he would write, He's the Word, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Thomas that night said, who is this man? Later he would fall at the feet of Jesus. After the resurrection, say, my Lord and my God. Well, who is this Jesus? I'll tell you who he is. He is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You know what? I wish I could more adequately describe him, but he's he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. The Pharisees thought they could stop him, but they couldn't stand him, but they couldn't stop him. Pilate didn't fault him, and Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't conquer him, and the grave couldn't hold him. I'll tell you who he is. He's the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. He's the God of the future, and he's the God of the past. He's the God who can calm any storm in your life or calm you in the midst of the worst storm. He is Jesus Christ And you can trust him. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you are the still calming storms and calming your children in the middle of storms. And I pray, Lord, that somebody who hears this in person or online, it will be a message of hope to them that they're going to make it through the storm. And Lord, if there's anyone listening to my voice, who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, I just encourage them, Lord, for you to encourage them to pray this simple prayer after me. Dear God, I need you. I'm crying out to you right now. I need you to save me. I'm a sinner, and I'm sorry for my sin. I know I'll never be good enough to earn heaven. But thank you for offering me a gift, the gift of eternal life and forgiveness. By faith, I receive that gift right now. Jesus, come into my life. Please take control of my life. I will live for you forever. In Jesus' name, amen.